You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what is up? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. You, you personally, thank you very much for tuning into this episode. Every download matters over here. So thank you very much. This is a really fun conversation. I really, really enjoyed talking with Danny. He's a great dude and a listener of the show, which was even cooler. It's always cool to talk to somebody who actually listens, which is kind of mind-blowing. Anyhow, I don't want to do too much jibber-jabber and get in the way of this most excellent episode, but I do want to remind everyone as we get into the holidays and you're going to be doing some shopping for yourself or for some loved ones or for some bandmates, whatever the case may be, if you could use my links, that would be most appreciated. If you're going to be getting anything from Sweetwater, they really help out a lot, honestly. They're very kind with their percentages that they share with this show. So if you could go to ToneMob.com slash Sweetwater for any of those purchases, whether it's a pack of picks or whether it's a brand new custom shop Gibson, it really helps out a lot when you use that link to make those purchases. On the other hand, they don't carry everything, but if you can't find it there, you can definitely find it on Reverb, and they help out the show as well. So if you could go to ToneMob.com slash Reverb for any of your Reverb purchasing needs, that would be great. And I know some listeners have asked whether that works in the app, and the workaround for that is to put everything in your cart in the app and then use the link and check out through the browser. I know it's a pain, but it really does help quite a bit for this little show. So thank you very much for anyone who is going to do that. Okay, let's get this jibber-jabber finished and get into some actual quality jibber-jabber with Mr. Danny Black. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Danny Black. Hello. From his solo project and uh, Good Old War. So, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing so well. It's so good to be here. I wish you were here. Like, here, here. I, I do, too. <laughs> I'm sort of pretending that we're standing face-to-face and talking here. It, it sounds like we are, so I'm going to pretend that, too. It makes me feel better. The irony is that I'm actually in my van. Really? In your van? Which is a very unusual place to record a podcast, but yes. It's not as in Colorado. It's not as unusual as you might think it is. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Not anymore. You have to get the get out there where you can. I've recorded my I recorded my very first episode on a hillside in a forest above Portland. So, wow. Yeah. Well, I, we have a lot in common then. Oh yeah, do we? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know, as long as we're we're somewhere somewhere uh, remote. Trying to do, uh, trying to work with technology, then we're very similar. Okay, good, good. We're we're in the same <laughs> boat. So, man, for the listeners, like maybe we should get into your story first. Let's let's take the journey. Great. Where did you start? I know I've listened to your work off and on throughout the years, so I was very excited to have you on the show. And I spent the morning listening to your latest record, which is very good. So. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm excited about this, but let's uh, take the listeners on the journey. Where when did you start playing guitar, and how did it lead you down this crazy musical journey that you've been on? Well, I uh, grew up uh, in Philly, and uh, my parents were Orthodox Jews when I was a kid, and my it's basically like a hip, kind of like a hippie commune, but in the city, and uh, 
my dad plays guitar and everybody pretty much just sang songs all the time. And I wanted to be like him. And I wanted to, um, I, I think I just, they you would get me like plastic guitars and I would pretend. And I was always kind of in my room pretending to be in a band and they noticed pretty quickly. So around eight, they got me a guitar and some lessons and I was hooked. There was really never a point, you know, how some people sort of like search around for what they want to do. I, uh, I never really had that moment. I never really had a choice. This was always what I was going to do. I was always going to be a musician from the instant I, I was like, you know, aware of life. And so I started playing really early. By the time I was in sixth grade, I was already in a few bands and, uh, you know, with whatever kids I could find. By high school, I was pretty much in all the bands that were in the school because everybody needed a guitar player or a bass player or somebody who actually knew how to sing harmonies. Uh, so I pretty much joined bands with kids of all ages, you know, the, the seniors, even though I was this tiny little freshman. Um, and yeah, I started touring up and down the East Coast with uh, my bands. But when I say tour, it's more like, you know, we played every VFW hall that you could possibly find. That counts. And yeah, it counts. Yeah. And, and there was a really cool community of that in uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey. A lot of great bands. Like we would play shows with bands like Bouncing Souls and Big Wig and all these like pretty large punk bands because they were playing the same circuit. Um, and they just somehow broke out of it. But, you know, I'm so I feel kind of lucky that none of my bands back then actually did anything because we were all like these punk bands. And imagine being like 40 and playing in a punk band. That would be really brutal. It would be hard but, on uh, the points. <laughs> yeah, it would. I don't think I could jump around like that anymore. Um, but yeah, so we uh, I, I did that for a long time and played in, in kind of every band. I ended up moving up to Vermont at one point and working at Magic Hat Brewery. And uh, I... I was just playing in every band and I never really, I never really considered it to be a possibility that I could actually make a living of it until I met uh, Keith and Tim from Good Old War and we, we found out that, you know, we could actually do it. And Keith already had had like a record deal. And um, when I joined that band, a lot of the infrastructure was already there. So I really just had to sort of fit in, um, which I, th I felt really lucky. And obviously at that point we were, we immediately hit the road. We made a record and we made a record with Anthony Green too. And then we just hit the road right away and stayed on the road for 10 years. Uh, and then at some point in there, I, I decided that I wanted to do kind of an instrumental thing with my, just my guitar. And I ended up making a couple records like that and getting to tour a lot with that. And, uh, and then that'll lead us to the new record, which we can talk about. Yeah, that's, that is exactly where I wanted to go with it because I, I listened to both things. I actually wasn't as familiar with your instrumental stuff until, you know, I knew you were going to come on the show and I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta brush up a little bit here. And, <laughs> and then, so and then I got to the new record just this morning, actually. I was like, Oh yeah, I really, I really need to check this out. So I went for a little walk and put it on and I was like, Oh, this is completely different. <laughs> yeah. Is well, it's just in time because we did come out just yesterday. So you're, you're not late. Oh, good, good. I, yeah. I was, I actually wondered. I'm like, why? I'm, I was like, I, because normally I would have started with the the latest record for a guest that was going to come on the show, and I was like, how did I miss this? I'm like, oh no, I'm kind of an idiot, so I could have missed it. <laughs> well, it's it's amazing. I've been wanting to come on, so you know, I'm doing all instrumental guitar music, so I, I definitely want to talk about you know all that stuff with you. I've been wanting to, so I'm excited to be here for that. Yeah, that's not even a a place that. I started exploring when it's in a completely different way than what you do it. But for me, I always thought like songs, lyrics, vocals, like that was always like the focus for me in uh -huh. a, a lot of my early stuff. 
And it wasn't until I started messing with more pedals and effects and, and doing more ambient, weirder things that I really started thinking of instrumental music as something that I would even like to be involved with. Right. And it's not because I didn't appreciate it or didn't like think that it was cool. It was just like for me and the way my brain works, that, that was, wasn't how songs were f- fabricated in my brain. Right, right, right. For sure. Was it a like a really hard shift for you to go from like the good old war stuff to that? Or how did that transition take place? Yeah, well, that's actually kind of interesting because I, I'm the same as you. I mean, you know, Keith and I write all the songs in good old war. And so that's very much, you know, if I sit down to write a song, that's what comes out. Um, uh, songs with harmonies and lots of, you know, lyrics and, and really melodic music. So um, I would have thought that it would have been a hard shift to go instrumental. Uh, but for some reason, it really just poured out of me. And I, I had a lot to say, I guess. And I also have a lot of different sides that um, I didn't really realize. I, you know, a lot of like more diverse interests that I didn't really realize until I started getting going on it, you know, that I was like, oh, you know, I really love to do really complicated 12 string pieces and I, you know, and all acoustic stuff and, and then looping and, and uh, stuff in, in interesting time signatures and more prog- proggy stuff and, and then also set these um set these kind of soundscapes for that could be in a movie you know things like that it's always sort of i'm always picturing a movie scene in my head so it wasn't really it ended up being kind of surprisingly easy to shift that way have you actually done anything with film yeah yeah absolutely i've done some uh i've had a a bunch of songs used and uh recently i started working on a film uh that's gonna it's like a documentary that's gonna be that's being worked on now and i i wrote a song for a movie uh just over this quarantine too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Can you can you reveal anything about those? Uh, not still- not yet. Not yet. They're still in the works, but I will. Okay. I'll be very excited to talk about them. That's cool. That's <clears throat> excuse me. That's something I've always wanted to do. Me too. I've yeah. Always, I've always wanted to to work on sounds for a movie. I've always wanted to do that. But like, I'm also a dummy, and I couldn't like. I could make the music, right? But like, I couldn't like write out a score. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> hey, some man. people, some people use, can. I you I can use MIDI that. and you can use MIDI and, and all sorts of programs. Now we have a lot of help for us dummies. That's what I need. I need so much help. So much. Help. Yeah. Yeah. Is the process for creating music around? So do, how did it work? Did you? just get told about what it is and then you just kind of have to fabricate it yourself or do you watch like the final edit and you're like okay I'm gonna add this part here and this part here how does that work kind of both uh you know if for if it's a song then they'll they'll give you kind of a brief of what the scene's about and you know kind of a few rough ideas of what you know but if they're hiring you then they know what you do you know right. a little bit so they're they're assuming that it's going to sound a certain way and and they trust that you if you understand what the, what you should be writing lyrics about then you're going to you're going to kind of match the mood to those lyrics in in that way but um like I've done some trailers and things like that and that's really fun because you actually just score right to it um so they'll give you like a timestamp and just be like okay at 10 seconds this happens and then at 30 seconds this happens and you just um you just kind of try to fit your fit your music to exactly what they ask for. And that's a really fun challenge. I think any musician being asked to write is always fun. But I found too, like with film, um, 
you know, most of the the film uh, like composers that that really seem to do well at this point are basically just going like wah, <laughs> you know, they just <laughs> hold the <a> note, <laughs> you know. So I, I'm trying to do something a little bit more organic and a little bit more acoustic, but it, that's what works most of the time. So, you know, learning how to make kind of ambient soundscapes is is a big part of it. I have pedals for that. We yes, can, you do. We I'm sure you do. Wah, wah, yeah, sounds. thank you, thank you, Strymon. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Strymon. Thank you, Chase Bliss. Yep. You, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was actually, you know, well, that's kind of, I've talked about this on the show a few times, but that's something that I, I use almost as a form of meditation or relaxation. I don't do it as often as I used to maybe a year ago, but it'd be like the way I'd like close out a day would be like, go grab a bunch of random effects and plug in and just see what happens. Oh, that's and, the best. Uh, it's and sometimes it was cool and sometimes it was lame, but I actually did it just this last Halloween. And because I'd talked about it so many times, I was like, I'm going to put I'm actually going to record this. And I'd never really recorded any of those just kind of zone out sessions before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I put it on YouTube. And of course, because, you know, YouTube algorithms, it's like the worst performing video I've ever posted. But <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> it is out there for anybody who's wondering what I mean when I say I do that. I will it's, be checking it out there. YouTube. I'll shoot you the link when we're done. With Please this. do I'll make it easy on you. Please do. But uh, let's talk about your rig. So I know like good old war is, you know, most people think of it as very acoustic driven. And a lot of your music is very acoustic driven mm-hmm. that I've listened to anyway. But the new record, a little less so. It's, There's a yeah. little more going on there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and acoustic, uh, I've worked really hard to develop a sound. Um and tones on that as well. So, um, well, I do have a partnership with Taylor and they've like, it, they have a, a certain um, something that seems to work with the way that I play. And I, I think that they, they have a certain reputation that does not actually say what they really are like now. You know, they're just becoming this incredible guitar company. Um, and I know that they've always been known as very bright, but if you play very, um, you, if you're me- mixing melodies and, and uh, chords at the same time, you really can't get a much better guitar that can speak that way uh, and fit into a mix with a full band. Uh, so I've, I, I play Taylor 12 strings and, and six string. Uh, and, and then I use Fishman pickups for that uh, live, and that's been amazing. Do you use any effects when you're playing acoustically? No, I really don't. Um, I just use the Fishman uh, Rare Earth uh, humbucker pickups that I put them in every single guitar I have, and I have a lot. And uh, and they just they really do it for me. And, th- and then I, I really do believe, like, if you have a good sound guy um, and the same pickups for every guitar, you can really it really is pretty easy to sound great as long as you can play. Therein lies the heart. Yeah, exactly. I'm still working on that. Same. (laughs) Always. And if if we stop working on it, we're probably doing it wrong. That's true. That's true. I I was talking with Brian Fallon. Uh, He's become a good buddy since he's been on the show. And, you know, we we nerd out on gear stuff all the time. But he texted me a while back. He was like, I've got a lesson. You know, I'm working on lessons. I'm like, oh, interesting that, like, even somebody as, you know, prolific as yourself is... I didn't say it exactly like that, right. but like, wow, you're taking lessons. That's cool. And uh, he's like, yeah, man, how do you become Bruce Lee? Right. You know? exactly. <laughs> I was like, that's a yeah. good point. And he's a great guy. <laughs> we've, we've toured with him a, a fair amount and we we toured with Gaslight Anthem and him solo in Europe. And he's, he has been very good to us as well. So I, I know he's a great guy. Oh, he's yeah. fantastic. It, it was, that was one of the big crazy turning points for me in the show was 
we actually like got to meet him and we got to uh, go record with him on his bus when they did the reun- uh, the 10 year 59 sound reunion here a couple years right. ago and you know my wife and I are huge fans so it was like what are we doing <laughs> that was like that was like her moment when it was like I think this podcasting thing is actually a, it's actually a, a thing. thing I was like I know you know it's you know <laughs> it's funny and this this will date us is that uh the tour that good old war opened for Gaslight Anthem was the 59 sound tour shows you how long how long okay. we've been doing this for I was trying to think of where I got introduced to you. It guys. could be then. Yeah. And there's a good chance it was yeah. that because I I knew that I'd been following you for a while, but I was like, what? Where? Usually I can pinpoint it. Sometimes I can remember. Oh yeah, I started following them right around then. I saw them with this band, but you guys, I was like, it's a little murkier. Yeah. I think I it was like a m- multiple touch points, and I just eventually. Started I think listening. that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> I, I think we're one of those bands that kind of like lives uh, in the ether. You know, it's like uh, sometimes we. I feel like we're one of those bands that has songs that kind of show up places, and people are like, "Oh, I know that band. What are they called again?" <laughs> you know, and that's always mm-hmm. kind of been. Uh, we've always lived in that zone, which I always thought was really cool. Those are the kinds of bands I really like. You know, those bands that you're just like, I like all those songs. Maybe I should get into that band. Right. It's like every time I hear it, it makes me right. happy. Why am I not? Like, <laughs> Like I, I got. We get the will record. win you like, over, no matter on? what you do. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, we'll lure exactly. you back in. So, I want to go back just a little bit. I think a lot of people probably got introduced to you. You know, speaking on this same line of thinking, through you working with Anthony Green. Uh huh. How did that come about, and what was that like? Um, well, actually, he helped us get started in the first place. So um, when. Keith decided that he wanted to. Keith is the singer of Good Old War, and he he had um, he decided that Days Away was kind of not going to be doing it anymore. Uh, and and I had met him, and he we we kind of hit it off, and he he felt like I was going to be a a good partner for him uh, as far as writing and and playing and playing acoustic guitar and singing harmony just seemed to be kind of the direction he wanted to go anyway. Uh, and that was already where I was headed as it was. So we made a really good team and. So he uh, he's always been friends with Anthony. They've been they grew up together, uh, and same with Tim. So they all they all grew up together playing VFW halls and things like that too, in uh, a different part of Philly. And so when Anthony was making his album Avalon, uh, even before we even started making ours, he invited us over to be his band for that record. And uh, he just had a lot of faith in us really early on, uh, and before we even really knew what we were going to sound like, I think we actually kind of developed our sound on that album. And it helped us decide, oh, okay, this is what we can, this is what we're actually capable of. So when we went to make our record, I think it was nice because we'd already had some time in the studio together. Yeah, that's very helpful. That's really cool that um, he was, you know, behind you guys from day one. That's very, very helpful when you have somebody of his caliber that believes in you and is, you know, you know, I guess kind of helping you along. Yeah, and if I'm being totally honest, I didn't, I, I was in a totally different world, uh, country and, and, uh, folky and, and, you know, even like, you know, old punk rock world. So I wasn't even aware of his, you know, when we were making the record, I did not know, oh, okay, we're going to go play for a lot of people. And, you know, (laughs) I was not, I was really, it was very innocent. Was it? Was it shocking? Was it like, oh wow, there's a lot of there's yeah, a bunch of people here. Yeah, I was sort of kids. like, oh, he's he's got fans. Oh, oh yeah, Circus Survive. I've heard of them, you know. And <laughs> I was probably right. the latest <laughs> to the game of anybody. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. 
that's a that's cool though. Yeah, it is very cool, and it kind of it kind of probably was. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like that would have been an, a really interesting shift because I'm I kind of yeah. let me back up a little mm. bit. I'm mumbling, so like my background is all over the place. I very much grew up with country uh, and that kind of music, and then kind of wedged my way into the punk scene mm-hmm. later on, and. I've always had this, you know, I would be like that guy walking around with like, you know, an under oath shirt and a cowboy hat right. and people would be very confused <laughs> right. by right. me. <laughs> and uh, so what is it, was it weird going from that world to, I don't even know what scene you would say circus. Yeah, I guess there's no kind of emo of, world. I, scene, yeah, I had kind of, I had kind of yeah. been totally unaware of it. So once we started, you know, once we started, I guess, being included in that world, I always felt a little bit out of place. Um, because I didn't know any of the bands, you know, I, I, I sort of had mm-hmm. to learn, oh, okay, you know, this band is from here and they do this. And, um, cause people would reference other bands you know, to try to, you know, include us in that world. But I, I always felt that we were an outlier and we were on, um, a label called Sergeant house, which is this awesome math rock label, you know, and we're this folky indie, uh, very kind of fun, uh, sing-along kind of band. Um, and we, you know, we, we definitely have our complicated moments, but, uh, we have always lived in this world where we're like, we never really quite fit into any of the places that we've been put. Um, so I, and I think that that's Mm -hmm. partially on me because I didn't really know, I didn't really know the scene at all. (laughs) So it was a little (laughs) bit of a culture shock, I would say. And I was, but the thing is that was so amazing about it is that like kids who were fans of Anthony and Circa, those are the people that have stuck with us since they were, you know, in eighth grade following them and became fans of ours. And they're still fans of ours now that they have kids and they're grown up. You know, it's really, they're the best fans in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely my generation. I'm, a, I'm on the older end of that, but I still very much have uh, followed bands from that era and still am a huge fan of that stuff. So I can, I can relate to those fans. I get it. That's great. Well, hopefully we grew up together, you know, although, you know, we're obviously older than those kids, you know, we were adults (laughs) when we started the band. (laughs) Right. So let's talk about the new record a little bit. There's, there's more electric going on. Tell me about your, your rigs and your, what were you doing on that thing? Okay. Um, well, Every song started with um, Ryan Zamaro, who's the drummer in this band, Vacationer. If you haven't heard him, you have to listen to that band. They're incredible. Um, that is Kenny Vasoli's band, who was in that band, Starting Line, but they're mm-hmm. a completely different, a completely different sound. Very vibey and summery, and they're just an awesome, awesome band. But uh, so Ryan is the drummer, and he and I started jamming together at the studio space, and we just, I just always heard him and thought man, if I could just take some of his beats home, I could probably make a record. <laughs> you know, he's just so inspiring. So I actually did. I asked him to come over one day and I recorded him with a one microphone and just put it right in front of him and gave him some click tracks for, you know, an hour or two. And he just played. And I I had all these tracks and I just started cutting them up and writing songs over them. And so every song started with bass. And uh, I would hear a bass line over, you know, because that's what I, we would usually jam, drum and bass. And so... I would usually try to pick a tone that I thought would match the drum beat. So I ended up doing a lot more kind of distorted bass. And I found that recording my bass, uh, I have a, a Fender Mustang, like a 70s Fender Mustang bass. So it's small, short scale bass. Um, cool. And and I would always put it through, uh, you, know, you know, my Strymon uh, Riverside 
pretty much mm-hmm. and give it a little bit of grit, not a ton, but sometimes more than others. And and then into guitar amps. I'd often use like a uh, a quilter amp. I don't know if you are familiar with those, but they're basically like as transparent as you could possibly get. And I, yeah, I really I like Oh, great. Yeah. So yeah. I really like like a bass through a guitar amp uh, on recording, obviously not live, but um, on recording, I think they record extremely well that way because you get all the frequencies that you actually want and none of the none of that heavy low bass that you can't actually do anything with. And I find that with bass, if you actually want it to come through on a recording, the low end actually gets covered by a lot of other stuff. So you you kind of want to stick with uh, kind of that mid range and the guitar amps do that really well. And, and obviously the Riverside. Uh and then uh, for guitars, I used a few. I had a, um, I have a, I have this like Surf Green Strat that that mm-hmm. has the most amazing uh, tremolo system you've ever heard. Like I could, I can dip it down. So a lot of the time, you might hear like kind of like a white noise kind of sound, and that's actually just my my whammy bar just depressed all the way and strumming it. And I and I can do this like very high pitched things with it. Uh, like I kind of try to do like the squeals, but without the without the, you know, Eddie Van Halen kind of squeals, you know, I have my own sort of version of it. Um, So a lot of the noises, that's all guitar. There's not, it's not synth or anything like that. And, uh, you know, really pretty simple. I use Strymon pedals. So I use um, the Riverside and the um, the Big Sky. uh, And I'll use, you know, some, some flange or some, some phaser here and there, but it's all pedals. There's nothing in the box that I'm adding to anything. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I'm I'm a big pedal fan. And so I, I'm I've long said like you can do almost anything with guitar pedals these days. And there's I, new I things being created all the time. It's so I, fun. Yeah, and also like you really you can play to the tone. I, I I'm a I, I guess I'm a little old school in that I don't do things in the box unless it really you know, like maybe if you have to do something to your vocal or whatever, I understand. But for guitars and bass, it's so cool what you can actually do going in. And if you get the tone right in the first place, it, it just saves everybody time. And um, yeah, I mean, I also really like small amp. I really like very small amps and even kind of like cheap old fenders or those fenders that have those built-in uh, effects can be really interesting on recording and they sit and mixes really nicely. So you like, you like small amps. I love small amps. I, I, only, I only travel with small amps. I only, I only have small amps. I, I've gotten rid of all the big amps that I've had over the years. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I like both, but, um, but I tend to stick around. My, I mean, the amp I play the most is definitely my Benson Vincent, which is about a 30 water, which I wouldn't call huge, but it's not small. No, I mean, um, you need a big place for, for that kind of volume in general to even make it sing. You know, you can make a small amp true. sing around, you know, you can turn a, a, one of these small amps up to 10 and not be bothering anybody. Um and they and they do the same thing. I, and on, honestly, I learned a lot of that from studying, you know, bands like Zeppelin and stuff. Like, why does the guitar sound huge? And Jimmy Page is playing through Champs, right? You know. <laughs> so I just I realized, like, and you know, some of my favorite tones just come out of small amps mic'd to sound big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think especially these days with the way sound systems are, it's unless you just need it to to. You know, sometimes you need that kind of volume to play the way you want to play and feel the way you want to feel. But if you don't, there's almost no reason for traveling with you know a full stack. Right. These days. Right. I mean, we we. I one of my favorite stories is that uh, Keith, uh, who plays guitar in the band, every once in a while, will play like two or three parts that I can't play if I'm playing acoustic. You know, play like the solos that um, that I have to play a rhythm guitar 
under or whatever. And uh, we did this tour, this big tour with this uh, with Allison Krauss and Union Station, and we're playing these massive, massive venues. We played like uh, the Greek theater in LA, you know, oh, wow. like places that size. Wow. And uh, Keith had a one of those tiny, you know, those tiny little orange amps that you know you it's it's the it's about the size of a quarter it's tiny uh and so mm-hmm. everybody in their band was coming up on stage and we had a mic and it sounded massive in the at the greek so everybody in union stations coming up like taking pictures of themselves with it because they thought it was so funny to see an amp of that size on such a huge stage and and it sounded awesome it sounded perfect. Yeah. You know, it sounded like a stack. So, I mean, I guess it's like, you know, at this point, the, like the pedal amps are, are really big and those things are really getting very convincing. Yeah, they they really are. I've heard really good things about the uh, orange. I think it's called the Terror Stamp. Maybe that's the one you're talking about. No, his like was actually just stamp. one of those little, it was one of those little, like it looks like a mini amp, but it's the size of, uh, you know, it's the size of your phone almost. Okay, that's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy what you can do now. I know, but it's not just—it's not just now. What a lot of people don't realize is like a, a vintage like rat pedal, the LM three hundred eights that are in there. The reason why those things have so much volume, well, one of the reasons is because those are actually not designed to be in a pedal. Those were designed to be amplifiers, right? Like, right for for something like that. And so uh, that that's why rats have so much gain and so, like uh-huh. we I've worked with people before where we're trying to like combine different things with the rat circuit and it's like okay well we're gonna have to tone down the rat circuit because it's destroying everything else right in its path. right yeah I mean yeah there's <laughs> destruction in those things I mean it's the same thing with those old pig noses too you know they're just great. Uh, the the way that they break up maybe doesn't sound great in a room, but you put that thing on a recording and it just sings. Yeah, I plugged, uh, you know, those little smoky amps, mm-hmm. the ones they yeah they build them in a pack of cigarettes. Or right, whatever. exactly. I plugged one of those into a into a two twelve, and I was like, whoa. Yeah, it's, what? it's a great. <laughs> what trick. is this? It's a great <laughs> trick, or using compression for distortion, things like that. I love that as well. You know, just overloading oh, compression definitely. is is a big. That's a big way that I would get overdrive instead of instead of using a distortion pedal or I really like that sound, especially with bass. You can do amazing things with compression and bass. I rediscovered that trick recently. I got a ground control audio serpens compressor in uh-huh. and I found like hitting that with a clean boost is man, like like and really pummeling it. It's a great overdrive all of a sudden. Right, right. It's, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah. It's a good trick. Yeah, it's a great trick. It's one of those things that you, you pick up by watching other people do stuff. I feel like I've just, I'm a student of it. I, I'm big into everything sounding awesome, but I'm also a big fan of trying to find an organic way to do it. And and uh, I, I guess a little old school, like I said, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I want to use pedals or, uh, you know, or just try to find a way to get my guitar into my amp to sound interesting, you know, without anything too. Right. Um, so I think, honestly, there's so much you can do with so little. Like, you know, people who have those massive pedal boards, I understand, like, you need different things for different songs. But I've always been a fan of, like, maybe one or two pedals at a time and each one of them really making a difference in the sound instead of, like, going through this massive signal chain. So I'll tear my pedal board apart pretty much while I'm recording. Yeah, I I, I like it all. You know, some people really get down on the big pedal boards and some people... They're like, you just need to go straight into the amp. That's the only way. And I'm just like, there's not a wrong way to I'm do it. I'm with you. I live the same. I live in that same world where I'm like, some days you just want every pedal turned on. And other days you just mm-hmm. want nothing. 
But I think it's good to have a lot of choices and then decide what you want for the right moment. It's all about how you use it. It's not about what you do, what you have. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So you talked about that strat. Yeah. Are there any other electrics in the arsenal? Oh yeah. I have a, a great Les Paul, um, that I use a lot. And I have my favorite is this other strat that I have. That's a, uh, it's a, like a 1980 Walnut strat. Uh, which is, it's Ooh. pretty much like one of those, like it is the most stratty guitar ever. It sounds exactly like you would expect, you know, a vintage strat to sound like, but it's not, re- I mean, it's semi-vintage. I guess it is vintage at this point, 1980, but um, it just sounds perfect. Exactly what you'd want. And that thing has never failed me. It sounds perfect in every single mix. It's always in tune. And uh, and like, no matter what pedals, I, it just plays well with pedals and, and plays well clean. It's like, you can't mess it up. yeah i mean it's a it's a strat is one i've always struggled with it's it's something that like i don't have a strat out of all the things i have i don't have a strat sure and the ones that i want are not necessarily what people who are big strat fans are like find desirable like i want a 70s style big headstock you know, like I don't want, I don't like the little headstock on the right, strat as right. well. I like the big one. And people think I'm crazy because that's, that's not what, that's not what Gilmore used. How dare right, you? Right, right. Well, um, you know, I don't think, I, I think <laughs> the whole point is, and I think what I'm, well, I guess what I'm trying to get at, and, and I, it seems like we're in the same camp is like you find the tools that you think are going to work, work best for what you do. You know, and that's, that's a thing. Definitely. Like I love guitars and I have, I have, I honestly have, I have over 30 probably at home uh, that I, that I switch in and out for something different all the time. But, and, and there are a bunch of strats because I find that they're really diverse. Um, but every once in a while, you know, a Les Paul is perfect or a Tele is perfect. Um, and I don't have a whole lot of like, you know, those weirdo guitars, but I, but I do use a lot of 12 string and I use a lot of, and, and my, um, and I use a lot of acoustic to do different things with it, you know? So sometimes even acoustic to go through amps can do really, really cool things. Do you have a, and this is never a fair question, (laughs) but I recently had to answer this in real time for myself, but do you have a number one guitar, like burning building? This is the one I actually do. I, I, um, I grew up playing this guild, uh, that my aunt got brand new when she was a kid in like 66. Uh, and so. Oh, yeah, it's man. the number one, and I still have it. It's the guitar I learned how to play on. It, it it was impossible to play when I was a kid, but since then I've had it set up a million times, and um, that's the guitar that I used on every single good old war song ever. Um, and it is it, it's always the first thing I put down, and I, and it got to a point where I just I it looks insane. So if you look up any picture of me, pretty much you'll find me playing that guitar, and uh, it got to a point where I couldn't I couldn't take it on tour anymore, so I I tattooed it on my arm instead. But at home, it's it's on every single song. That's so cool. You t- tattooed it on your arm. That's it's some dedication. The, it's the greatest guitar. You know, I'm just you know those things where you're just like, how did I get so lucky to have this thing? Yes, I know. Yes, I know exactly what. Yeah, you're I'm, about. Yeah. I'm currently like furiously googling. Oh, there it is. Right. Okay. The, I think there's it's an F35. And there's the yeah, tattoo. Yeah, there's, it's kind of weird because you see me <laughs> playing it with the tattoo of the same guitar right next to it. I kind of love yeah. that. That's kind of that's kind of amazing. What a cool thing! It's I love things that have a family history. That my number one similarly is my grandpa's Les Paul. Oh, there you Jr. go. So it it you know it's like I have a lot of 
really awesome guitars and all of mine I I'm not somebody that goes through guitars very much. I know a lot of people who are constantly rotating through things and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not really how I do things. Mm -hmm. I, I'm always trying to like fill a gap. I'm like, okay, well, I don't have, you know, like right now I'm thinking like I don't have a Gretsch. Yeah. And I could use a Gretsch yeah. in my life. And so then I would be on the hunt for the Gretsch that I really, really want or whatever that happens yeah. to be. Like for a while it was a Telecaster. Yeah, yeah. And you can also um, modify guitars you have. Like I had this um, kind of medium level Tele uh, that I, I've had forever. And I just, I did, it had this Perloid pickup. It's purple, basically. It's kind of like a bluish purple. And it this Perloid pickup. And I just never played it. I didn't like looking at it or anything. So I got it kind of reset up with the Bigsby and, and a black pickguard. And now it looks, looks and plays awesome. Ooh. And it's, it's something I never had before, you know? So it, it, it now it, it lives in this world that, uh, you know, I got new pickups put in and, and it does that. It does the thing that I wanted that, that guitar to do when I bought it. So that's the thing. Like, you don't necessarily have to go out and buy a new, a million new guitars. You can, if you have a guitar that you don't play, you probably could turn it into something you would love. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm going through this struggle right now. It's it's the epitome of first right. world problems. First of all, it's not a struggle, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I have this Rickenbacker 360 that I've had for years, and when I first got it, I really liked it. I especially like it like with a bunch of fuzz and things like that but out of all the guitars i have it's definitely the one i play mm -hmm. the least and the one that i have like the least connection to i bought it because it was a smoking deal on a from a, a business that was or a guitar shop that was going out of business uh -huh. here locally and i was like i always wanted a ricky that's a smoking deal i'll buy it and i just don't play it right. very much and I, I currently have a guy online. I, I was publicly debating about getting rid of it on Instagram. And a guy was like, I'll, cause I said, I need a new computer. And he's like, I'll buy you a, a whatever computer you need. If you send me that Rickenbacker. And I'm like, mm, am I going to regret this? Yeah, dude. <laughs> cause I could save my money and get a computer myself. But I also don't really play this guitar that much. It's a weird internal struggle. I've only ever gotten rid of one guitar. And so I what? Do you, yeah, what have you so decided? Because I'm, like, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't know how to get rid of guitars, and I I don't I don't even know how to get rid of pedals. To be honest with you, like I I have a collection of pedals that I you know things that I will probably never use again. But I kind of look at guitars as um, one of those things that I'll be able to pass on and, and they're almost like a retirement in some way, especially if you have nice ones, you know, they all become vintage by the time you're old. That's right. <laughs> That's true. I would have never considered something from 1980. Right. Vintage, exactly. It, it, it doesn't feel it, but if you, yeah, but now exactly. Kind of I mean, by the time, by the time, you know, we're in our sixties, that's a, that's a valuable guitar, you know? That's right. Well, especially like this keeps coming up on the podcast because it's a recent phenomenon, but there's been a reoccurring theme I, since I bought my Les Paul custom, which is a 1981. Mm -hmm. I've found that there's sort of like, like a group of in the know people. I don't know how this happened, but like that found out that amidst all the chaos of, of late seventies, early eighties Gibsons where there's, you know, it's right. hit or miss the, Les Paul customs from that era somehow are consistently fantastic. And with the recent release of the Adam Jones 79 silver burst, which everyone just woke up and decided that their 1980s silver burst 
is now worth 15 <laughs> yeah. grand after that. that That's amazing. That Cause I, I, his style, I mean, um, like you have to play a very specific kind of music to use a green guitar like that. <laughs> I know it's kind of crazy. I yeah. love it. I love it. But like, it's just funny how the market responded. As soon as those were launched, you look on reverb and you know, my mine's white, so it doesn't fit the, uh, the mold quite exactly, but even mine is worth double according to what reverb prices are worth well double done. what I paid for well a done. few years ago. And I'm like, it's, but I was like, does it, and with this comes up into conversation with some other gear stuff going on lately, but I'm like, but is it, does it matter if you're never going to sell it? Does it matter? Right. What it's worth? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I'll give it to my kids it. or something one day if I have kids. <laughs> yeah. 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 If they're if lucky. They're lucky. If, if they're real if they're good. good kids. <laughs> so who are some of your musical influences we've talked a lot about right. what you do and how you approach things but where did you get oh it's from? so all over the place so yeah i mean obviously i grew up with the you know the big ones um it started everything starts with the beatles in my life and and kind of ends with the beatles as well i it, it, in my family i don't think that my dad actually knows that another band exists so I don't even know if he knows that they have another album other than Sgt. Pepper. It was like such a huge event in his life. So that that was the beginning of everything for me and still is is kind of the beginning and end. But obviously from there, you spread out to a whole bunch of other great bands. And um, The Stones came first and I learned a million things about uh, how to write and how to record songs from them and Zeppelin and, and all the great classic rock bands pretty much. I, I had a very kind of open mind about that stuff. And then... Um, when I really started getting aware, it was exactly when the whole Seattle scene started. So Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden, those bands were massive for me. Um, and then as I grew up, I started getting into into country music and and learning about Willie Nelson and and uh, Merle Haggard and the acoustic side of things and how you can make an acoustic sound, you know, pretty heavy. And I thought that was always a really cool thing. If you listen to any, you know, you listen to Mommy Tried, you know, the second the song starts, you're like, oh, that acoustic sounds amazing. And uh, that was a bit of a rabbit mm -hmm. hole for me for a long time. I just got really into how fingerpicking players, you know, do it without having to be flashy and, and being able to sit right at the top of the mix. So um, I got really into country music in that way, old school country music and outlaw country music. And then that sent me over to bluegrass. Uh, and so uh, Tony Rice and uh, all those guys, and obviously the whole like the whole new grass revival, all those guys in those bands, they were all really influential. And at the same time, I was always really into punk bands, you know, when I was in high school and, and stuff like that. So Bad Religion and No Effects and bands like that, too. And then uh, I got really into acoustic uh, and instrumental guitar players like Tommy Emanuel and um, uh, Leo Kotke was a big, has been a big one. Michael Hedges, people like that have been massive in my life as well. So it's really kind of all over the place. As long as it has a guitar in it, my life is, my life revolves around it. I, that's what I love to hear that <laughs> I like diverse stuff. I feel like you and I could go down the, the country rabbit hole we, and maybe, yeah, why should, not? Cause why not? But I, I mean, Merle Haggard, I, sometimes I go back and forth. My wife is also a huge fan of that stuff as well. And she's said before that she thinks that if she could only listen to one artist for the rest of her life, wow. Merle Haggard would be it. And I, have a hard time wow. arguing with that. I, you know, I, 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 it's more of a, like a, a, uh, like a kind of a pleasure for me. I kind of treat it as dessert. 
Uh, mm-hmm. For me, yeah, if I had to choose Desert, anything, yeah. you know, it would be somewhere between Paul Simon and the Beatles, probably. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, I just I can't get sick of it. I've been listening to it for thirty years. It's still the best. I mean, it's hard to argue with. You know, I yeah, I, I honestly yeah. don't know if I could answer that question. I mean, today I could, like. Today. Right, right, right. The second, yeah. <laughs> Today, I mean, for me, it's and the, Danny Black, Danny Black's new album, uh, Black Rhino. It's Ryan. gonna be Danny Black, a hundred percent. I'm never gonna stop listening to it for the rest of my life. <laughs> You're gonna get so many screams yeah. out of me. <laughs> oh please, I, I I will cash that nickel. Oh you, yeah. <laughs> You're gonna get hundreds <laughs> of streams. You'll get at least a fraction of a cent from this. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how much money musicians are making right now. Oh yes, they're just rolling in it. Just rolling in yeah. it. Yeah, especially without tour, we're we're really rocking right now. Oh yeah, so, you know, I was thinking, <laughs> this is actually kind of. I think it's kind of good. I feel like it's kind of like a reset for for the the people that do this because if you stick with it now, and it's still like you're really true, uh, you you really are. You belong here. Right. You know, you belong in in the music industry because I feel like there's it got to the point where like everybody's like, oh, I got a laptop, so now I have GarageBand, so I'm gonna make an album and put it out. And it's like, well, that's great. I, I think everybody should have that opportunity. But at the same time, there's people that really, you know, they live for this and it's everything for them. And it might be nice to kind of be able to sift through some of the stuff that isn't as genuine. Yeah, I. it's a weird time for sure. I mean, yeah, like you said, if you can get through this, you, you're you a real soldier because this is, this is a right. rough time. But it, it actually took me a while because I don't like make music as a career per se, but it took me a long time to realize, and listeners are probably getting tired of me saying this over and over again, that I actually do work (laughs) in the music industry. Mm. And I had people point it out to me. I was like, I don't work in the music industry. I'm a podcaster and I talk about gear, you know, primarily. And it's like, well, what is that used for? And who are you talking to? And what events are you attending? And what, you know, like, it's like, oh, I guess, yeah, I guess it is the music industry. It's just hard for me to, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around because I never actually thought it was going to, going to be possible for me. It's all that I've ever wanted to do is work around musicians and be musical. But I never thought that it was going to happen. It wasn't a career path that I was, I was pursuing with that kind of mindset of like, being a guitar player or being a you know working musician or a producer or anything that people traditionally think of and so i've taken this really weird side road uh which i'm very thankful for but it's sometimes hard for me to process well i would say that 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 exactly what you just um expressed is is gen is being genuine you know like that's that's the whole point if you weren't going into it being like i'm going to make a million dollars you went into it um, because you you were just into it. You wanted to do something. You didn't really think of it as some sort of career path or, you know, this is what I'm going to do with my life. It's just, it's just your life led you here. That's, that's to me, that's what I want to be around, you know, as far. And I think that uh, musicians, you know, in general are just excited about people that are just really, really real about it. And they're doing it for all the right reasons. It's definitely not something anyone should get into, whether you're going to start making pedals or whether you're going to start writing songs. It's not something anyone should get into with the idea that they're going to wake up and be, you know, Brad Paisley. 
because there's right. only one well, there's only one Brad Paisley. <laughs> right. And that's the other thing. I mean, you said it too, because you you're gonna no matter what, I, I don't know who anybody thinks they are, but nobody defines themselves the way that they expect. You know, everybody when they're kids, they think they're gonna be Kurt Cobain or Jimmy Page, you know, but you're you. So you're gonna be right. a different thing. <laughs> You know, and that's that's the thing. Like, I grew up definitely thinking I was going to be something. And my my life and music have taken so many different diverging paths that I don't even know, you know, I'm me. And that's mm-hmm. a great place to be. And and that's the other thing. So, like you were saying about, you know, putting out albums, two instrumental albums, and doing all this music with Anthony and doing the music with Good Old War and um, making film music and things of that sort. Um, it, I think that all... I've always been a fan of musicians and artists that do what they feel like where their muse takes them and they don't Mm -hmm. really have a they don't really like and some people are gonna you know if you listen to neil young like some people are crazy horse fans and they will not listen to crosby stills nash and young it just won't happen you know and and so some people are gonna love my instrumental stuff and not like my my rock stuff with me singing on it and some people are gonna do the opposite and some people will like everything um but you just can't think like that you just have to make what comes out and that's the kind of artist that I wanted to be and the people that I look up to. One thing I like to ask people who have had a lot of experience like you have is what would you recommend to somebody like say they are a, a you know starting out as an artist and they want to do this as a career. Do you have any words of advice for them? Yeah, um just practice a lot. <laughs> try to define <laughs> try to try to get good. Forget about everything else like just get good and then also learn how to work with people. I think that that's, that's been really big for me is just learning how to be friendly and, and professional, but also be, um, and, and prompt and reliable. And then also just, just trying to be really good and not waste anybody's time. So if somebody wants me to play on their record, you know, I'll try to get it back right away, you know, or if it's in the days when we actually go work on stuff together to be the one that, you know, people could trust to know the song when I showed up and, and, you know, kind of help them, with arrangements and things of that sort. Just just know your stuff, I think, is more important than actually working towards any kind of like financial or professional goal. Yeah, the one thing I would add to that, and I think this is true regardless of your career, whether it's music or it's something else, answer your email. Exactly. That's what <laughs> like, I mean. You know, be professional, <laughs> be professional and quick and be on your stuff. You know, it's really important. It's really important. I completely agree. Yeah, I I mean it's it's a it's a thing sometimes where it's like trying to wrangle somebody for a show that that they they initially acted really excited about it and it's like I got to email you 17 times and then it's after a while it's like do you really want to do this or do you not and sometimes it comes back and they're like oh yeah I really do want to do this I just got you know sidetracked with whatever and that I believe that but I have it a lot take of emails. Long. I have right. a lot of emails, you know, and I run six different social media accounts. I uh, wow. I have a lot of things to sift through, and I miss stuff. I'm not, I definitely do. I pr- I promise I'm not perfect, but I do I do catch ninety percent of it. So when it's mm-hmm. that inconsistent, and maybe I'm vocalizing because there's something like that going on right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, it's like okay, well, if you're if you're not into it, I'm not going to be offended if you don't reply. Or if you don't, uh, if you don't want to do it, but just let me know so I can stop bothering you. Right, that's right. Cool. And I think that's. I think that goes for all. You know, if if you are self-employed in any way, just be a pro. Just be a pro. Just and and be nice. That's all. And you know yes. what? I I nine out of ten people that I meet 
uh, and I'm sure you're the same way, that are, are good at what they do and are kind and easy to work with. So I think that I think you have to be and people know that now. Yeah, I think, you know, word gets around. It does. I mean, it's not like it used to be, you know, I feel like I used to go to shows and like the bouncers were all jerks and you'd feel super unwelcome, especially in Philly. Um, you know, it was scary to go to a show because the people were not nice. You know, the people who worked at the venues and stuff like that. And that that world is gone. You know, all those places mm-hmm. are gone now. So um, now it's like everybody, you know, there's Yelp and there's, we can rate, <laughs> we can rate you now. So, you know, it'd be good. And, 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 you know, it should be pretty natural. You know, it shouldn't, shouldn't really be too hard to be easy to be around. Yeah. The, the world has definitely changed. And that's actually another thing that might be kind of interesting to talk about in these last few minutes here is from my perspective, you know, how I, I never was in the music industry and now, well, not in 2020, obviously, but just prior to 2020, I was like, Oh, I'm starting to get to go backstage to interview people. I'm getting to see behind the curtain in ways that I never imagined that I would. Right. And you know, you hear all these, you know, VH one true stories and whatever else that's all this debauchery that people used to get back in, get into back in the day. And I'm like, that guy's eating carrots. Uh, Yep, that girl's eating chips and uh, playing on her phone, and uh, there's nothing going on. There's nothing yeah. weird going on back here. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's two sides to that. One, yeah, the internet is a bad is is going to be a lot harder on people too, and you know to uh, get into those kinds of debauchery. It's not a good look anymore. You know, it doesn't look cool no. to be like a jerk rock star like it used to for some reason. Uh, which has always been one of those things where I've always been like, really, that's cool to like, you know objectify women and things like that. It's never seemed right. very cool to me. Um, but, you know, that said, then there's also the fact that, like, people have learned that if you want to actually survive on the road, you actually have to take care of yourself. You know, we don't all have big jets. You know, we're at this point, you oh, have to... Nobody does. Yeah, you actually have to, you know, get some rest and take care of yourself and keep your voice in check if you're going to go play a show. And, um, you know, you can have fun. You can go out and, and have some drinks and, and have a good time. But, like, when it comes to, like, before the show, yeah, there's not people getting, like, crazy wild anymore because they're trying to actually have a, you know, have a chance at, at surviving this game. Yeah, it was it was really funny. I had this moment, and this was... Uh, quite a while ago at this point, but I was hanging out with Frank uh, from Mike him when he was doing his tour with the future violence. And he, he just wanted me to come by and bring a bunch of gear and nerd out. Cause he loves all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, he, uh, he was warming up, you know, for sound check and he had these vocal things he was doing. And, and I was just chilling, you know, hanging out with everybody. And he's like, I know this is really rock and roll, right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, you know, like that's like my favorite stuff though. Like I when um especially when Good Old War first started, we would every single show and we did this up until like, you know, yeah, I think I think uh pretty much every show for like the first like six or seven years of the band, we'd get together and we did a vo- vocal warm-up together with my you know, I'd sit there with the guitar and I'd play uh scales and stuff and we would sing together and it got us super locked in. Um I, I I really have like very fond memories of doing that. So I know it doesn't sound very rock and roll, but it brought us really close. Yeah, I mean, and you got to do it. You know, you you have to. Like that's if you want to survive, you got to. Yeah, keep and people 
Yeah, people want to hear a good show. Give them a good show. It's the only people don't care. Oh man, I totally like got so wasted backstage. Like, no, they want to hear a good show. They don't care what you did backstage. Nobody wants that. Nobody really wants. No one's like, man, that was so great that Danny got hammered and came on the stage and fell down. Like that was wonderful. Right. That was worth my money. <laughs> yeah, they'll be bummed that they paid for that show. You know, yeah. that's the thing. So yeah, I mean, have a high standard up there because that's that that you know. 30, to an, 30 minutes to two hours that you get to play is the best part of the whole day. And that's what you waited for. So go up there and be, be a pro. Nice. I like that a lot. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're getting down to the last few here and we've got a few classic questions to get into. But before oh, I do that, this is your time to shine. This is your time to say whatever you want to say. You know, you can put a billboard out there for a few thousand people right now. This is your chance to do it. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm on the spot. I would you say, are. I would say, please check out my new record. I'm super proud of it, and I think that um, it is music for pretty much any anybody that likes something that's gonna maybe make them think a little bit, and and hopefully it'll get you dancing. Um, it's called Black Rhino, and it's out everywhere now. You could also pre-order it. Yeah, you could also pre-order it. I'll uh, I'll send over a link. All right. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you. Okay. Of course. Of course. All right. Getting into the, the last few here. This is a this is a question that I started asking. Yeah, it's been around for a while now, but I'm I'm always surprised. I thought it was gonna take more thought for most people, but most people kind of have the answer chambered. And huh. uh, I've been very surprised by this. So let's see let's see what you think. I hope what I did. You might, you might. Let's see. What is your favorite boss pedal? <laughs> my favorite boss pedal is probably the tuner <laughs> the TU2 <laughs> classic response uh, yeah I, I, I'm oh, like I, I grew up with the flanger I actually love that thing although people are like what is flanger um, or a core I, oh, I used to love the I love the chorus too but I mean I was a David Gilmore fan my entire life there's never been a moment when I haven't been a fan of his and he uses that flanger and it sounds awesome Dude, I have one. I have a, an original one with the black knobs and everything and yeah. the silver screw. And uh, it sounds awesome. It I sounds great. It. it really, it really like thickens up when you play solos. If you use it classy, you're gonna get you're gonna get something pretty cool. It's a very nice pedal. And it's one of the boss pedals, vintage boss pedals that are relatively affordable. Right. I think yeah, I've because nobody like, likes nobody likes flanger. I love Flanger. I'm a big fan. But <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Me glad too. I'm glad I have a kindred spirit here. Yeah, yeah fellow BF, Flanger. Yeah, BF2, I think they're they're usually I think I paid like $120 for mine with the box. Wow. So yeah. Yeah. I probably got mine Which, for like 60 bucks back in the day. Um <laughs> and, and I mean I also still use those DD5s and DD4s and even DD3s. I think those are still great too. So I like the are. delay pedals as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to bother Yoshi over at Boss for a sponsorship since I asked that on every episode. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. I really thought about yeah. that until just now. If they um, start sending you some pedals, you know who to call. That's right. I have some <laughs> people over there. One time I uh, almost stole Yoshi's uh, Yoshi's Uber accidentally at NAM, but that's a story for that people have heard before, so I'll tell you In NAM? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been, it was rough out there. It was, it's always rough at NAM. <laughs> The mean streets of Anaheim, California. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Here's the last question. All this right. is the one where, you know, it gets a little dicey. It gets a little controversial. And oh, sounds scary. You know, 
careers are made or broken with this question quite often. <laughs> All right. What kind of pizza do you like? Do you want to know the truth? I've never met a pizza I didn't like. I think All right. I think the worst pizza is better than almost any other food. I've, this is like this is actually an ongoing thing for me. I love pizza, but if I if I really had to choose, uh, I'd probably say like mushrooms and uh, peppers. Mm, yeah. Solid. I like yeah. that. That sounds. But good. I could. But I honestly, I could eat any. You could put anything on a pizza, and I'd be like, "This is delicious." <laughs> Great! It's a pizza. Exactly. This is wonderful. Something about the word pizza just yeah, it perks me up. It's not very often that if you're if you're at a get together or something and that someone's like, "Hey, who wants pizza?" Everyone's like, "No." Yeah, everybody's no, like, "Well, I, I think a, I think it's cheat day today." <laughs> All of a sudden, <laughs> you had me at pizza. It was yesterday too, but, right? Uh, now it is again. <laughs> exactly. I like it. I like it. Well, thanks so much for coming on, man. This has been a a really great chat. This is a lot oh, of fun. Man. What an honor! Thank you so much. Very very fun, man. All right, everybody, for Danny, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I don't know if that's possible. I really, really, really enjoyed talking with Danny. In fact, I enjoyed it so much that we did some more over on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash tonemob for just five bucks a month, you can get extra episodes beamed directly to your ears every week usually in the form of an extended conversation with that week's guest. There's a ton of content over there. I don't even know how many episodes we have over on Patreon, but there are hours, literally hours and hours of extra content that you're missing out on over there. In fact, probably some of the best episodes that have ever been recorded are over there on the Patreon stream. So big shout out to all the Patreon subscribers. Got a bunch of new ones in lately, and they've been amazing. So Thank you to everyone that's supporting this show. And if you can't do that, I know, times are weird right now. I get it. I totally get it. But what I would really appreciate is if you could share this with a friend. If you have a guitar-playing friend, please share this with them. Put it on your social media. Get it out there for people. Every download matters. It really does. And to close things out, you can text me if you want. You can text me directly at 503 503- 751-8577. And everyone who is on that list, because it is a list of sorts, gets to text directly with me. I sent out a recipe last week. I sent out some uh, things that might help independent contractors and small businesses. It's really the channel for all the random stuff that I get asked about sometimes, and I don't really have another feed or means to elaborate further. So Shoot me a text at 503-751-8577. And if you haven't heard the episode with my good friend Devon Blue that I dropped last week, it's a bonus episode, we go into some of the other things you can expect to see over on that text chat feed thing. So that is the spot. Uh, I think you're really going to like it. It's very interesting. It's a very kind of off-the-wall experiment. We're taking some of the control back from the algorithms. And I promise, 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 I will never be sharing that information with anyone ever for any purpose, ever. Like, ever, ever. It's just a conversation between myself and the people who would like to talk to me. 
So if that sounds cool, shoot me a text. It should be a lot of fun. And if you decide it's not for you, all you got to do is text STOP to that same number, and they'll stop. So that's all for now. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.